three stories that I want to cover today. Firstly, a quick hate speech update, and you're not going to be surprised where this is coming out of. Uh, Secondly, New Zealand animals of cloven hoof are at risk, and yes, that is an exact quote from our Prime Minister of cloven hoof. And thirdly, the main story of today, seven Australian rugby league players have rejected their club's pride jersey. And that is the big story coming out of Australia because the media, they they can't believe it. How hateful can you be? So that is a very fascinating story. There's a lot of dynamics going on there. But before all that, just a quick hello. How are you going? Welcome to the Arriving Somewhere with Matt J podcast. Commentary, comedy and conversation. Please remember to subscribe and like and share and comment and all of those amazing things. Okay, so you will remember yesterday's episode, was it episode 26 or 27? I've lost count. It's either episode 26 or 27. If you haven't heard it, I recommend it. The title is uh, Ardern and Zuckerberg in bed together? Question mark. Listen to that one. That's about the hate speech and the 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 code of conduct that New Zealand has put forward and that the social, big social media companies, big tech, have all gone on board with. So it's a way to bypass our legislation. But go listen to that episode if you haven't heard it already for a bit more detail. Now the update is after I'd finished recording that I thought, I guarantee, in fact, I would have gambled everything I own on this being the case. Straight to the United Nations website, as you know, in the previous episode, a few episodes ago, titled the, uh, something, what was it called? The Great Socialist Experiment or something. It's titled that. If you want to go listen to that one as well, if you haven't heard it already, you will understand why I went straight to the United Nations. Ardern is running New Zealand by whatever the United Nations wants and Bill and Melinda Gates and the WEF as she was one of the young global leaders. But anyway, regarding hate speech, I went to the United Nations website and lo and behold, stunning, shocking, can't believe it. Hate speech is rising around the world. Hate speech, this is the UN's article. Hate speech incites violence and undermines social cohesion and tolerance. The devastating effect of hatred is sadly nothing new. However, its scale and impact are nowadays amplified by new technologies of communication to the point that hate speech, including online, has become one of the most frequent methods for spreading divisive rhetoric and ideologies on a global scale and threatening peace. Oh, it's it's spreading divisive ideologies. You mean like Marxism? Oh, no, you don't mean like Marx? No? Oh, nationalism. You're against... You're against sovereign states. Gotcha. Right. It goes on. The United Nations has a long history of mobilising the world against hatred of all kinds to defend human rights and, uh, I'm trying not to laugh, and advance the rule of law. The the rule of law, your law. This. The impact of hate speech cuts across numerous existing United Nations areas of focus. Yeah, exactly. If you go read these sustainable goals and things, there's little hints of it everywhere. It goes on, from human rights protection and prevention of atrocity crimes to sustaining peace and achieving gender equality 
and supporting children and youth. Now, because fighting hate, discrimination, racism and inequality is at the core of United Nations principles and work, the organisation is working to confront hate speech at every turn. Again, an ambiguous term. Yesterday's episode, I'm not going to go into hate speech again. It's just going to make me angry. Uh, this principle is enshrined in the United Nations Charter, in the International Human Rights Framework, and in the global efforts to achieve the Sustainable Development Goals. Bang. And I, I don't know why I didn't bring it up yesterday. Afterwards, after recording, like I said, I had just the realisation. I was like, why didn't I check the, the UN? I've, of course, she's Ardern is doing absolutely everything. All you have to do is go read the United Nations website. And you can almost predict what's coming next. And, well, whatever she announces, go to their site and see exactly what's going to happen and what they're trying to push. It's all out in the open. People may call you conspiracy theorist. It's all out in the open. It's on their website. So what's the UN's strategy and plan of action on hate speech? Well, in, in response to alarming trends of growing xenophobia, racism and intolerance, violent misogyny, anti-Semitism and anti-Muslim hatred around the world, have you noticed a, a particular religion was left out of there? Not surprising, is it? Uh, the UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, I never know how to pronounce his name, I've only, I really only read it. Anyway, the UN Secretary General launched the United Nations Strategy and Plan of Action on Hate Speech uh, in June 2019. This first UN system-wide initiative designed to tackle hate speech provides an essential framework for how the organisation can support and complement states' efforts. Nations' efforts is what they are saying there. The strategy emphasises the need to counter hate holistically. So the str- I'll repeat that. The strategy emphasises the need to counter hate holistically and with full respect for freedom of opinion and expression. That's an absolute lie. Because if you got the wrong, you know, if you got the wrong narrative, you got the wrong opinion. They're not going to want that. Uh, but listen to this. While working in collaboration with relevant stakeholders, including civil society organisations, media outlets, tech companies, and social media platforms. It's all laid out right here. And New Zealand, as I mentioned yesterday, NetSafe came out and said this is a world first, what they have put in place. And wherever you are, Watch what your country does, and just to, just to see. Watch what we'll see what the Netherlands does, and Canada, and all that. If they don't already have this sort of stuff in place, I know Canada announced something regarding speech, and there was legislation that I believe passed, but I haven't gone into detail on that. I have been told by a few of my Canadian followers that that was the case, um, but the New Zealand, this particular New Zealand code of conduct, is not legislation. That's what's different about it, and again. I'll repeat, they are trying to put in legislation on top of it as well. So it's really entrenched in this country. But there you go. So that was just so obvious that I was annoyed at myself for not bringing it up. And then I thought, huh, I wonder what the World Economic Forum says. So I went over to the World Economic Forum. Diversity and inclusion. Our mission, embedding equity and inclusion into economies and societies. Uh, The World Economic Forum is committed to helping people and organisations follow through on commitments to expand opportunity for the traditionally excluded, whether economically, racially, culturally or technologically. 
Now listen to this. <laughs> listen to this. We aim to provide a platform where the public and private sectors can join forces to try to recognise historical shortcomings, rectify systemic inequalities, increase the diversity of pers- of perspectives involved in decision making, and develop cities and technologies that are accessible for everyone. And they're just openly admitting all this. And then you go to some of the. There's, Tons of articles on here. How are we fighting systemic racism in the workplace? Uh, partnering for racial justice in business. And then, from that, you can find articles such as from March 2018, how technology can be used to combat online hate speech. Four years ago, from August 2017, Instagram's new filter makes internet bullies disappear. Who's deciding who's the bully and the troll if you just got the wrong opinion? So, from five years ago... They're telling you that this was happening. Anyway, that's the, the hate speech update. We'll follow that closely because that has really gone completely crazy town and we're in a very, very precarious position for, for free speech all across the West. All right, so story number two today. Uh, Jacinda Ardern and Damien O'Connor talk foot and mouth disease. Uh, foot and mouth is spreading in Indonesia and... Jacinda Ardern says New Zealand has never had an outbreak and it wants to stay that way. But some of the wording is is interesting. Uh, Ardern said it was detected in Indonesia in May and, quote, while not a threat to humans, it would devastate our national herd. Essentially, all animals that are of cloven hoof are at risk. We're just going to use Lord of the Rings style language now. Of cloven hoof, sir. The animals are dead. Uh, She says it would put up to 100,000 jobs in the primary sector at risk. They they mentioned that New Zealand had arguably some of the strongest biosecurity measures to protect protect against the disease. And that we had learnt a lot from the uh, mycoplasma bovi campaign. And farmers now had excellent record-keeping procedures. That's key. Keep the excellent record-keeping procedures in mind because of what New Zealand wants to do regarding... A cow and sheep farts and getting cutting down our carbon emissions in the name of climate change, which sounds like cutting back meat consumption, cutting back cattle and sheep. So we now have excellent record-keeping procedures. That's That sounds like them priming for, well, we can do this. We can monitor each individual cow or farm, and the, the farmers have to, they've got good record-keeping. If they can't keep up with that, well, maybe we just they can't farm anymore. Just speculation, but interesting phrase in that article. Now they they also mentioned the risk had increased to our cattle, and basically that if it did hit here with a foot and mouth did hit here, that all trade in animal products would be stopped if the if the disease reached New Zealand. And quote in the event of foot and mouth ever reaching here, we have access to a vaccine bank in the UK that can be called upon within days of notice. So there we possibly could have some sort of cow and sheep and, sorry, cloven hoof pandemic amongst our animals, but don't worry about it. We'll cull the herds and don't you don't need meat. Have a caterpillar. Have a cockroach. Have you tried this mite? Just don't worry about it. It's all fine. Try a fake burger. Made of cardboard, eh, you get you through the day. What's a little bit of starvation in a country with an obesity problem? 
That's we could we could probably justify it from any angle. Climate change. We're saving the planet. Better kill off all the cows and cattle. Okay, moving on to the main story of today, because the big story coming out of Australia is seven Manly Sea Eagles players stand down over club's pride jersey. Now, this is from the National Rugby League competition. I went straight to NRL.com, had a look. There is nothing on their website at all. And this story broke last night. It's been up for a while. The NRL has yet to say anything on their own website. So it sounds like they're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. And it's quite entertaining to watch. So this particular article was from the New Zealand Herald. And it says, The Manly Sea Eagles have been thrown into turmoil ahead of their Thursday night contest against the Sydney Roosters after a player revolt over their pride jersey. Seven players have sensationally stood down after the club announced the pride jersey featuring rainbow stripes and trim would be worn as a one-off this week. It goes on to name the players. And what's interesting is, I think all of them, or at least most of them, are Pacific Island players. And it's just funny watching the media try to scramble over this because if, uh, you know um, the Pacific nations are very religious and it's predominantly Christian. And... The players that have all stood down, none of them are white guys. And it's just funny because you can tell the media were just, that they don't really know how to handle this. And that's what's interesting. But there has been big backlash. Uh, the article continues, it says, they were reportedly opposed to wearing the jersey due to their religious beliefs. Now, I will be fair here because I, the jersey, which I will put as the cover of this episode on Substack, the jersey in question, if some, if they hadn't told me that this was a pride jersey with the the lines, the rainbow lines, I would have just thought it was one of those mid-90s colour schemes. You know, kind of like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, sort of rainbowy type stripes. But when you are told it and you look at it, you go, yeah, okay. It's clearly a sort of a subtle rainbow jersey and it would have been advertised as that. Uh, the article says Manly held an emergency meeting on Monday night with the players in question. The club will now face the Roosters without them. The coach, Des Hasler, had told his players he would support their decision to stand down from Thursday's game over their pride jersey. Uh, Manly will become the first club in rugby league history to wear a jersey celebrating inclusivity with rainbow colours replacing the traditional white. And then the media, the media points this out. And there's a few tweets from people who I don't actually know that they're clearly bigger names or reasonably well-known names in Australia. It says, the media adds this into the to the article. The Sea Eagles' major sponsor, and I'm going to go into the details and what the media is not actually telling you on this, but the Sea Eagles' major sponsor is gambling company PointsBet, so they point out a gambling company, while their home stadium, Four Pines Park, is named after an alcoholic brewing company. So they mention an alcoholic company, because they're priming you to say that their entire boycott is hypocritical uh pam whaley on twitter this is in the article it says what infuriates me and always has is that players will boycott over a rainbow but never boycott okay firstly this is the first time i've heard of a australian or new zealand sports team or people players boycotting pride they're not boycotting over a rainbow they're boycotting over an ideology and i'm going to jump into that in a sec She's, she goes on though, but they never boycott a teammate if he's been accused of violence against women. 
you just wrote it in your tweet accused what are they supposed to boycott and make a judgment well we're not all leftists we're not all socialists who just guilty until proven innocent that is an, a crazy comment anyway it's, it's so it's they won't boycott a teammate if he's been accused of violence against women or any other morally reprehensible rep, or any other morally reprehensible behavior that they would all agree they don't condone i do not understand it well firstly pam i'll explain a little bit is that you're talking about individual behavior now an accusation is just that it's an accusation and if that player was found guilty you would hope that that club would sack them and get rid of them for any violence against women. Now, there has been problems in sports all across the world with this sort of thing. But what you're talking about here is an individual behaviour. What they're boycotting is a collective ideology, a toxic ideology that's infiltrated and particularly targeting kids. And these are religious players. Religious, predominantly, Pacific Island players. Anyway, back, back to the article. Sea Eagles great Ian Roberts, the first rugby league player to come out as openly gay, was left heartbroken. They go get a comment from Ian. Uh, I try, he says, I try to see it from all perspectives, but this breaks my heart. Uh, it's sad and uncomfortable. As an older gay man, this isn't unfamiliar. I did wonder whether there would be any religious pushback. That's why I think the NRL have never had a pride round. I can promise you every young kid on the northern beaches who is dealing with their sexuality would have heard about this. Uh, social media also erupted over the player's decision. Now, wide world of sport, wide world of sports. Matt Bungard, it's an interesting name, wrote, "I don't want to hear one single thing about respecting other people's opinions or using religion as a crutch to hide behind while being homophobic. No issues playing at a stadium covered in alcohol and gambling sponsors, which is also a sin. What a joke! He's mentioned alcohol and gambling as a sin, but." It's a, that's complicated. Alcohol in, in Christianity and the different denominations is not, from my understanding, a direct sin. I mean, it's sloth and gluttony and that kind of thing. Sure, but I know plenty of Christians that will sit back and have a whiskey or a beer. They're not pushing the drunken, hedonist lifestyle. So that's an interesting comment. That sounds like somebody who doesn't really know what they're talking about. And with the gambling thing, from my understanding, again, that's an individual and a personal responsibility, not a toxic ideology. But gambling in, a, in and of itself, from my understanding, is because of the you do not worship money. And therefore, that would be looked at not favorably. But to call it a sin, it's, it's from somebody who's not informed. So they, And that's what I mean. They, they put that in the article and led on to other comments. Because they're going to call these players hypocrites. Another tweet is included in this article. As a manly fan, I'd more than I'd be more than okay for those players to not play in this game or ever again for the club. Rainbow flag, rugby ball. Uh, Spack talks is that sport sport talks or spec talks? Don't know. Tom Reed wrote uh, that was his article. Uh, sorry, that was his his tweet. And then Townsville Bulletin editor Chris McMahon wrote, I don't care if it derails Manly's season, but if these flogs pull out of this game because of, an in- because of an inclusive jersey, they should be stood down for the season without pay. As a massive Sea Eagles supporter, this is enough for me to almost pack it in. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
just crazy. Anyway, I'm part. This is really the only sport that I follow anymore because it's all been infiltrated, and now this sport has been completely and utterly infiltrated, as you can see, by all this woke social justice nonsense. We can't leave sport alone, and we can't leave it a, for for men to bond over and be a little bit tribal over. No, no, it's all infiltrated. It's all inclusive, as you would have heard in previous episodes with the New Zealand thing about getting 40% women on boards and having their funding threatened if they didn't go along with that. But I'm part of a, let me find it. So this is the only real sport competition that I still follow. And I am part of a Discord uh, group where they talk about it. And I wanted to go in there and see what people's thoughts were on it. It's mixed at best. A lot of them going along with the media narrative. But what I, I don't like having these confrontational conversations a lot. Because it's just, it's not really my personality. I don't particularly like that, and, which is funny because I'm doing this podcast. So you might be laughing about that or thinking, oh, that's a weird thing to say. But going in and getting all these notifications and people swarming on you, it's never fun. Anyway, I wrote um, that these players are brave for making a stand. And their first comment back was, there's nothing brave about being homophobic. So that's an expected reply um but what i did like was that having this sort of back and forth between some respectful people granted and some not so respectful people allowed me to clarify my thoughts on it so i won't read you the conversation but i'll read you a couple of things that i wrote uh these players will will receive massive blowback it's it's not about being uh, it's not about people being gay if you understand any of this the pride and lgbt stuff is an ideology that is toxic it's spawned out of things like like critical theory it targets children through things like drag queen story hour and books where gender is a spectrum and promotes gender dysphoria it's also an anti-nuclear family why would you want to promote that and what's interesting is then you get pushback from people that are either atheists or agnostics and they are saying things like pride is new it's not mentioned in the bible um and that this has nothing to do with religion uh, if it's about gender dysphoria i'm pretty sure the bible doesn't say anything about it and all i said was uh in the beginning god created man and woman (laughs) and that it has everything to do with religion because it's it's against christianity it's hedonism and it's targeting children and pride is also one of the seven deadly sins. There are There's plenty of reasons why these players are standing up to this. Now, I'm not sure if the players themselves would say this or if, if that's how far they've thought it through. But to me, this isn't about not wanting to play rugby against another player who's gay or anything along those lines. It's not, it's not targeting individuals at all. It's the toxic ideology. It's the pride movement, the LGBT stuff. This is, again, just another example of when Black Lives Matter happened and you couldn't say you were against Black Lives Matter because of the name. And people couldn't disassociate the name from what it actually was. And the founders came out and said it themselves. They're Marxist activists. And that's what they are. And they wanted to basically destroy the family as the traditional family. And of course, the anyway, I got more and more of these comments back and one guy was particularly angry with me. Greed is also one of the seven deadly sins. I can assume the players in question are on the absolute minimum amount of money they need to survive then. So they, they, can, they just threw these straw man arguments. 
out there. Um, and I don't see how educating children and promoting acceptance and being yourself is toxic. And again, I just repeated, a toxic, destructive, sinful ideology rooted in Marxism that is pushing everything I mentioned above. That's what they are standing against, not individual sin, which we all commit and have to account for. There's a big difference. I hope I've given you something to consider, even if you disagree. And then I got the, uh, there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere meme directed at me. So I, I do hope that, well, I'm interested in your thoughts, actually, if you want to leave some comments on this. If what if what I've missed, if I missed something or what you, uh, if you think I was correct in my take. Uh, one person also said, these players are employed by the NRL and they should align their values with their employer. Uh, NRL is an inclusive company that that promotes the LGBT communities. If the players are so staunchly against it, they should find another employer that doesn't have those values. Possibly with the church. Maybe it doesn't pay as well. Thankfully, the players aren't greedy, so they will not mind. So there it is. It's just, again, it's like conform to our ideology and conform to the relativist, subjective stuff that we're going to push now and we're going to promote. And a lot of people are very confused about what that is. So the LGBT stuff is pushed as inclusive and loving and kind. And if you're against it, well, you're an evil person. And you should conform to that. And if you don't conform, well, maybe you should get sacked. And it's the BLM stuff all over all over again. It's the jab stuff all over again. And it's interesting because a lot of this is coming from a particular side of the political aisle. And if you go to places like the United Nations World Economic Forum, those sorts of things, you'll see. Where, and probably the George Forest found open societies... Uh, foundations those types of things are probably funding and pushing a lot of these messages in groups and you see it you see the again i'll use the term npc type of person where they're the the kind of empty vessel that gets filled with whatever propaganda is pushed and you can make people fall for things by making them sound good and just and by using terms like equality and ultimately it is this is modern day socialism and we have to continue to talk. And the, I might not have liked leaving those comments or starting off that conversation because I knew that I would get that blowback myself just from making a stand. But if we don't continue to speak up and talk out, I mean, we're already losing our freedom of speech with these hate speech things coming in. And if we don't continue to talk, it's only going to get worse. And so you have to get these ideas out there. And unfortunately, when it comes to social media, if they're cracking down and not allowing us to talk, or if, say, for example, I'm using Substack and it's a, maybe you're subscribed or not, um, that message is limited in its scope and where it can actually get out to. And I know there's other massive accounts that talk about things like that, and that's fantastic. But I don't hear a lot of it coming from New Zealand. I don't hear a lot of the counter voices to all of this. Um, and so that's why, well, one of the reasons why I went into this particular group just to see what the thought process was like amongst some other sport fans and it's mixed and it's quite heartening to see that it's mixed I thought it might lean more to the pro toxic ideology stuff but so there you go that's the big story coming out the media is not going to tell you this the media is going to frame it and they are framing it as seven players that aren't about equality and are hateful and look at look at how they're discriminating against gay people and trans people and that's not what it is at all they're religious i assume i don't know for a fact but i assume that they're christian and most of them are of pacific heritage or are from or live there 
And so it's interesting watching the left scramble about it because they can't use the race card at all. And they would have been desperate to use the race card. But again, it's, I find it very, it's a positive development that we're seeing some of these sports stars stand up to, to this. Some of them did stand up to the jab mandate. There was a particular club in this competition that required all of its players and staff to get jabbed. Other clubs didn't, and a lot of that was because of the religious players that refused. They, they refused to get it. And again here, it's the religious players from the Pacific Islands standing up to this ideology. And that is the major story coming out of Australia and New Zealand today. We'll see uh, over the next 24 hours where the story goes and what they blame and if any other players buckle because they're going to be under immense pressure um, and yeah, the media will be on the warpath for, regarding this for the next, for basically for the next week. Well, they'll, they'll drag this out for a long time. Anyway, I'll leave it there for today and if anything happens more that's interesting or shocking or whatever, I will talk about it a little more tomorrow. This has been the Arriving Somewhere with Matt J podcast and thank you very much for listening.